Hello, and welcome to Studio Class. I'm Megan Enan, your host and diva sidekick. I'm a mezzo-soprano on a mission to change the world through the commissioning, performance, and proliferation of new music. Are you just beginning your singing career? In the midst of building your successful empire, or anywhere in between, I hope you'll join me in this second season as we talk about the ins and outs of both a traditional and non-traditional singing path. It's not always easy, and if your experience is anything like mine, we barely scratched the surface of this in-studio class. However, I'm here to give you the micro-actions that over time will transform your relationship to your career. Let's do this. Thanks for joining me for episode number 17. In this 17th episode, I'm attempting to answer one of my own big questions. How do you change the world through classical music? Yep, it's a hefty topic. I've had this nagging feeling that I need to devote some of my attention to how my art can be a force for good, and world events don't seem to be slowing that need or quieting that internal voice at all. It's getting louder and more insistent. Divas, not only do I want to help you make it rain in your business, but I want to help you change the world while you're at it. In our last episode, we started discussing how can music influence the body to support fitness and rehabilitation, and how can music motivate the mind to promote academic achievement. In this episode, we will be going over some questions including how can music reflect the psyche to improve mental health? How can music foster intimacy to strengthen relationships? And how can music enhance connectedness to support communities? Ready? Because here we go. Welcome back, divas. I'm so glad that you're joining me for the second part of our Change the World Music Project episode. If you're just joining me here, I want to go through the passion, pain point, and purpose questions from the other episode with a few personal stories to kind of illuminate some of my thinking around those prompts. You're always welcome to go back and listen to the first part or just jump in here and then go back and listen later. So the first question was, when you were a child, what did you dream you would become? When I was very little, I told my friends and family that I wanted to be on Broadway. That was my only context and understanding for performing on stage. My dad was a theater teacher and I (laughs) desperately wanted to be on the stage. I knew that Broadway was a thing where people got to sing and dance and be on the stage. And so over time, I thought, well, Broadway, that's where it is. And then as I got older, I became really fascinated by meteorology and weather. I wanted to be a meteorologist and work for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration tracking tornadoes. Then I decided to do something a little more practical and thought, opera performance. Yep, that's for me. (laughs) So I suppose my career mind has gone from Broadway to tornadoes and to back-ish to opera. I don't know if that's a normal career path thinking or ideology, but that certainly was mine. (laughs) Number two, what was the most valuable thing that your parents taught you while growing up? Or what do you wish your family had been able to give you that they couldn't or wouldn't? This is a tough one for me. There are so many things that my parents taught me about the value of working hard in the arts and the value of the arts overall, or how to build community, and I'm still learning from them all the time. I think they also inspired my passion for seeing money as a tool. 
that definitely makes its way into my art practices, building community, holistic value of the arts, and using money as a tool for creating a sustainable arts community, or a sustainable life in the arts is the beating rhythm throughout most of my projects. Our next question was, if your parents are still alive, what is the thing that scares you the most uh, for your parents or for your children? And I don't have any children of my own, but one of the things that really scares me about the potential aging process is dementia, Alzheimer's, and memory loss. It's something that I think about often and crops up in a lot of my creative work. In fact, I created a whole recital around the theme. You'll probably hear me talk about it often. (laughs) I'll even put a link to it in the show notes so you could learn more about it. If you're looking for inspiration from a book or a movie, to which themes do you turn? To this, I say there are lots of books and movies that have influenced my life, but I turn to poetry all the time. Poetry is my kind of self-help. And it helps me ask the deeper questions that I need to work through as a person and inspires me to make art that connects with other human beings. One of the ways that I use this for inspiration or for self-help, I suppose, is that I'll read a lot of poetry just to kind of think about things from a different point of view. But then also I'll take those lines of poetry and turn them into questions and ask myself those questions. That seems to be a lot better for me in probing my own internal motivations and values than kind of general self-help like what are your goals right I'm like oh I'm on it I'm doing the whole goal setting thing but I need to get at some of those deeper stories that I tell myself and I need to get at some of those more veiled emotional connections to things that don't always crop up in the first 10 questions that therapist might ask you or something (laughs) but poetry does right away (laughs) When I'm looking to poetry, Garrison Keillor has these two volumes of poetry, which he curated called Good Poems and Good Poems for Hard Times that have been really valuable to me. And then in a different kind of way, I really enjoy Twyla Tharp's The Creative Habit. They have all been essential when I needed inspiration, either of the emotional support kind from poetry or inspiration to just get out there and make things happen, which Twyla Tharp's The Creative Habit is fantastic for. If you were given a week off from work, but you could only use the time for volunteering, where would you turn? What if you were given a month away? What if you were given a summer away? What about a whole year? Hmm. When I think about this question, two experiences in my life stand out more than the rest. I wanted really desperately to be a summer intern for Voice of Calvary Ministries in Jackson, Mississippi. And I also really wanted to take a year to be a volunteer for Urban Servant Corps in Denver, Colorado. And I'll link both of those in the show show notes if you have any interest in that. But both of those organizations and volunteer opportunities had to do with planning, community empowerment, home ownership, and economic development. Both of those experiences help volunteers become advocates for and with others for lasting solutions and long-term social change. I didn't do either one of them, though, because I deeply believed I can't take a whole summer or a whole year off from singing. I'll be so behind in my career. And I can find the places in my heart which still feels that, feels a little bit of pain that I didn't take those opportunities when I could have. That nagging feeling of I'll be so behind in my career has followed me a long time. 
for no good reason <laughs> that I thought, wow, I can't take a whole summer off to go do this volunteer opportunity that really aligns with my core mission and values because I'll have to have that summer in case I get into a summer program when I never was able to audition for that summer program anyway because I couldn't afford it in the first place. So there's still some pain that I need to work through around those areas. Perhaps you have something like that as well. And like I said, I still can find those places in my heart that seeks out those kinds of opportunities, even if it doesn't include being in that formal volunteering situation, such as the two that I listed. But I definitely see the concurrent themes running from those opportunities through my creative practices. Those core mission and values do not go away. They just get channeled into the experience that you're able to have. And it's part of my goals to include those themes more overtly in my music practice. What passion or passions of yours are most people surprised to learn about when it comes up in conversation? Well, per the last couple questions, it probably doesn't surprise you to hear about my love for creative placemaking or poetry, but those are the things that most people are surprised by or how they show up in the work that I'm doing. Okay, the next one is, how or when are you the go-to person when your friends need help? I absolutely love to be there for my friends when they need help thinking through tough emotional trials. And I love to be a business bestie. I also love to be the person that you can disagree with on political topics and still come out better friends than you went into the conversation. I know that seeing the nuance in everything is really important to my friends and why they feel comfortable bringing me some of the weightier subjects in their lives. That ability to see nuance, to meet people where they are, and to have conversations, a wide-ranging conversation about tricky emotional subjects is is a gift, and I and I don't ever turn that down. I love being there for people in that way. The next question is, what is the subject you feel more, most comfortable teaching? So if you're here with me or on the Sybaritic Singer, you probably know that I feel most comfortable teaching applied voice in a one-on-one setting or music business. I love doing workshops with small groups on actionable items around music and making a living in the arts. That leads to the next question. If you were going to make a homemade gift for someone else, what would you make? Oh boy, uh, this one is not my forte. So if I made a homemade gift for someone else, it would probably just be a long letter. Um, words are a direct line to my heart. So I would just stick with that, maybe in my own handwriting, and just really think about the words that I'm choosing for that person. Or baking. I think that's the other one. I will make you some delicious and heartwarming desserts. So come to me if you need therapy via words and homemade baked goods. <laughs> this next question kind of takes a, a darker turn, but it's remember a time when you were deeply offended in person by a stranger. What happened and what made you feel offended? The most recent example I can remember happened the other day in the store. I was checking out and a man came up to the counter and was starting to get louder, louder and more irate. He suddenly started yelling at the woman who was helping me. Ma'am, ma'am, can you get your manager? This bleep isn't doing her job. She's not answering my questions going on and on. And the woman helping me replied, sir, she is the manager. And he lost it. The guy was all like... How can this bleep woman be the bleep manager, he yelled. 
And this didn't go on forever, but it ended shortly with the man being pissed and just leaving the store. And I was so deeply offended. But I was also upset that I didn't say anything. I was actually afraid of potential violence. And it hit me that that's part of the problem. The threat of violence lets people get away with saying horrendous things because I'm not going to stand up to this offensive guy. I have... I have random violence in my background. I'm not going to risk it in that situation. But his words were ringing loud and clear in the store. His words were ringing loud and clear. Not my words or the words of the woman who was helping me. And as I drove away from the store, I thought about how important it is for me to continue lifting up and validating women's voices as a countermeasure to offensive people like that. I want to make sure that The phrase, like, how can this bleeping woman be the bleeping manager is a phrase that just goes away. That doesn't exist in our collective consciousness anymore. So I'm going to wrap up that story. I'm sure we could go on about it forever. If you have a story like that, you can feel free to share it with me on Twitter and tell me what it made you realize in the work that you need to do. The last question was, in which resources are you abundant? So I'm identifying ways that I can use my abundance of money, time, privilege, access, ability, and influence to work toward my goals. It doesn't always feel abundant in all of those areas, but I'm working on that too. So it's about identifying where I'm abundant in those areas and how I can use that for the greater good. Divas, would you like to see me in your hometown? I'm putting together a tour of residencies and workshops for schools and institutions. I'd love to visit yours and do some of this work together in real life. It's easy to get a hold of me. Just head on over to sybariticsinger.com slash services and fill in the contact form. That's S-Y-B-A-R-I-T-I-C-S-I-N-G-E-R dot com slash services and get in touch. In today's episode, we're using the overall structure of Professor Katrina Skews McFerrin of the Melbourne Conservatorium of Music's course on how music can change your life to talk about how we can use our music making to change the lives of others. Let's continue with our framework questions. We're starting with how can music reflect the psyche to improve mental health? Going back to the Oliver Eliasson quote from the first episode in this series, he wrote, quote, Giving people access to data most often leaves them feeling overwhelmed and disconnected, not empowered and poised for action. This is where art can make a difference. Art does not show people what to do, yet engaging with a good work of art can connect you to your senses, body, and mind. It can make the world felt. End quote. Music making can have a tremendous impact on how we understand the human experience. Music can act as a distractor, which is helpful and is useful in its own right, but it can also help us interpret complex human emotions. It can even help us understand other individuals' complex human emotions. It's really an empathy-building tool. If you were listening to these episodes as a performer and saying, yeah, that's great, but I'm not a music therapist, what do I do? I want you to think about how people engage with the work that you are creating. For example, if you're doing La Boheme for the 50th time, can you build bridges for your audience members to understand the nightmare of poverty and then give them ways to act on those understandings? In another way, do you personally understand how music and mindfulness can go hand in hand? Perhaps your project can be to reach out to a corporation or school 
and offer music for meditation purposes. You can come up with lots of examples for how music can improve mental health or help reflect the psyche. This this area is rife for brainstorming and topic creation. That moves us to our next question, which is how can music foster intimacy to strengthen relationships? Okay, divas, this is a giant flashing arrow one for me because this is one of my personal missions for my own How to Change the World music project. I am deeply committed to helping people regain love lost or love forgotten. I love to be with and talk people through difficult relationship questions or issues. Actually, as you remember, that's one of my answers for how or when do people turn to you for help. I actively look for opportunities to use my music to help people develop intimacy in their relationships. I was telling you about that recital that I developed that's around dementia and Alzheimer's and memory loss. It's called Single Words She Once Loved. And I want people to be able to experience the recital and perhaps turn to the person next to them and say, thank you for being with me while mom went through dementia. I couldn't have done it without you. Those are the kinds of things that I want people to do. It's not that they came to the, my, my recital and they said, oh, wow, yeah, that's that's really great. But they realized that I was reflecting to them their life experience and gave them a moment to process it, gave them a moment to process it together, maybe created a little bit of space for them to turn to the person that they're with and say, oh, I just realized that we've been doing this together. Thank you so much for doing this with me. In another fashion, many of you are familiar with my current lullaby recording project, which is also an example or an attempt to use new music to help create intimacy within a family setting. I don't want new music to only exist in concert halls or even non-traditional spaces, maybe expanding that notion of non-traditional space to being that moment before you go to sleep or when you're tucking your kids into bed, that that can be a moment where you connect through new music. Another way of achieving this that is different than my own personal goals, but might work for you a little bit better, might be leading like a mommy and me or a daddy and me music group that helps parents and very young children connect through music. If you teach very young students, this could be as simple as having a parent sit with their student all the way through a lesson and help them connect through music understanding. This could even be as simple as being the background music for date night. (laughs) Are you helping people develop intimacy in their day-to-day lives through your music? Hey, Divas. Did you know there's one very simple way you can support our show to ensure we keep producing more content? Simply head over to iTunes and give us a rating. First, subscribe to the podcast, and then you can rate the podcast by selecting one to five stars. If you enjoy the podcast then please consider giving a five-star rating. This takes less than a minute to do, and with each new rating, it only boosts the visibility in iTunes for Studio Class. It means a lot to me and to the show. Higher ratings means greater discoverability. Thanks for helping me do my part to be a shepherd for our art form. Our final question for today's episode is, how can music enhance connectedness to support communities. Professor Skews McFerrin rightly asks, is the power of music strongest when used by groups and communities? 
In this current political climate, many of you may be asking exactly how you can use your art making or music making practices to enhance connectedness or support communities. So let's start by asking a few more questions. Number one, in which community or communities do you have the most influence? Or in which community or communities do you have the most at stake? Number two, how do those communities interact or communicate on a street-to-street, local, regional, statewide, national, and international level? What are the needs of the community? What does it mean to you to enhance connectedness in your community? Finally, what does it mean to support your community? What does it mean to you to support your community? Theaster Gates is one of my favorite examples in art making that enhances connectedness and supports communities. So much so that Art Review has dubbed Gates, quote, the poster boy for socially engaged art, end quote. Gates, who grew up on Chicago's beleaguered West Side and holds degree in urban planning and religion, took his first step towards rehabilitating Greater Grand Crossing in 2006 by buying a former candy store for $130,000. He was also trained as a potter, which is so funny. So he's trained as a potter and he starts getting into this connectedness and community support and community environment. So buying a former candy store, he said, there was no grand ambition. When you root in a place, you start making things better. I wasn't on some divine mission. But two years later, he bought the building next door for $16,000. That became the Archive House, which houses a micro-library. A former crack house was transformed into the Black Cinema House, hosting screenings and discussions about African-American films. Gates has now invested millions in Greater Grand Crossing through a web of enterprises that includes his studio and the nonprofit Rebuild Foundation, and his post as Director of Arts and Public Life at the University of Chicago. But Gates was working as a potter before this, and he decided that he wanted to be more committed to this community and just started building, just did little bit by little bit and transforming this area, transforming this former candy store, transforming a crack house into this black cinema house. The point is, is that we're finding little ways to start transforming areas that we really care about. For example, you maybe you're inspired by Gates and want to create a venue like a group of musician friends I know have done in Omaha by creating outer spaces out of an old car wash. Or I see friends creating festivals all over the country for new music and opera. I mean, you can't even spit without hitting an article about opera on tap, it seems. Also, I see my friend Andy Lee creating an online recital series to promote new music practitioners across the country, no matter their geographic location. Supporting communities is a broad directive, I know, but this is really a choose-your-own-adventure, so it's time to do some brainstorming. Okay, let's review the framework questions one more time. Number one, 
How can music influence the body to support fitness and rehabilitation? Number two, how can music motivate the mind to promote academic achievement? Number three, how can music reflect the psyche to improve mental health? Number four, how can music foster intimacy to strengthen relationships? Number five, how can music enhance connect- connectedness oh man, to support communities? Those questions mixed with our pain points, passions, and purpose questions are an excellent prompt for you to start thinking about your Change the World music project plan that we'll discuss more thoroughly next week. So I hope you'll join me then. Until next time, divas. Thanks for joining me for episode number 17 of Studio Class, brought to you by the Sybaritic Singer. Many thanks to Juanitos for the music featured in this episode. Do you have a question about this podcast or the information I've presented here? Please go to SybariticSinger.com and get in touch. Yeah.